Amazing. You guys can grab a seat. Thank you, Nate. Uh, well, church family, it's great to be with you today. My name is Brett. I'm a pastor on staff here. Uh, if you're joining us online, I want to say welcome. Thanks for being a part of our church family today. Um, this morning, I get the privilege of continuing us in our series uh, through the book of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have your Bible, your cell phone will work just fine. Uh, would you follow along with me in Luke chapter 10? We're going to be going uh, through verses 38 through 42 this morning. So I'd love for you to turn there. And as you're turning to Luke 10, I have a story for you this morning. Uh, it's a story about two sailors. Uh, these sailors loved the ocean. And in their yearning to be out in the, in the open sea, they both decided to build boats. So both sailors, they gathered the materials needed to build these ships, and they immediately started to work. The first sailor worked tirelessly. He collected uh, whatever he could to make his ship work. So recycled wood became the hull of his ship. Uh, used cloth became the sail. An old spinning wheel became a steering wheel. Regular quick trips to the local secondhand store gave him all the materials he needed. He didn't care where the parts came from as long as they would take him out to the open ocean and keep him there. He quickly built his boat. He fulfilled its purpose. In weeks, he was out on the open ocean enjoying what he loved. And the second sailor also worked tirelessly. He too was committed to getting out to the open ocean as quickly as possible. He too started with recycled wood, with with used cloth for his sail, but the thought struck him. Wouldn't it be better if I used fresh wood instead of recycled wood to build my boat? And so he spent the next several weeks taking the recycled wood out of his boat, installing the new wood, and then sometime shortly later, he heard about this new type of sail that could withstand higher wind speeds, and he thought, wow, wouldn't it be better to have this, this, this more quality sail on my ship? So he spent the next several weeks uninstalling the old sail and installing a new one. Upgrade after upgrade presented itself, and the sailor felt like he needed to jump on every opportunity week after week, month after month passed, and the problem was that in his constant worry and need to keep upgrading his boat, it remained sitting on cinder blocks rather than sailing out on the open ocean. And so we see the difference between our two sailors. The first sailor never lost sight of his purpose to get out into the open ocean that he loved. But the second sailor was so busy with what seemed urgent that he missed out on what was most important. And in the midst of preparation, he found that he had lost his purpose. And today in our passage, we're going to see a story of two sisters. One sister reminds us of the first sailor. She's single-minded in her devotion to pursue what she loves, Jesus. The other sister reminds us more of the second sailor. She's also devoted to Jesus, but in her devotion, she becomes distracted. In the midst of what seems urgent, she loses sight of what's most important. And before we judge this second sister too critically, I want to challenge us to look at our own lives because I'm willing to bet that we do this all the time. 
I'm willing to bet that most of us in the room struggle with the thought that I need to, I need to juggle a thousand things at once in my life. I need to remain completely busy if I'm ever going to handle all the things on my plate instead of just pursuing single-minded devotion to what's most important in our lives. We get caught up in the next assignment, the next meeting, the next place we have to take the kids, the next event we need to move on to, and we inevitably end up anxious and troubled. And in all our busyness and for all that we accomplish, we end up feeling heavy and at the same time simultaneously empty. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times the trouble isn't that we're spending our time on bad things. A lot of the stuff that we're trying to juggle are good things. But most of the time, we start to lose our way when we fail to choose the best thing. This morning, I want us to realize that ultimately, we don't need better time management skills. We need a better way to live. We don't need to increase our productivity. We need to reshape our priorities. We don't primarily need new circumstances, but we do need to look to a Savior. And here's what I want us to take away from our passage today in Luke chapter 10. If you walk away this morning from the gathering and you only remember one thing, please remember this. In the midst of the urgent, one thing is important. In the midst of the urgent, one thing is important. So to set the scene here, before we dive into our text this morning, at this point in the book of Luke, we see, we've seen for the last 10 chapters, uh, Jesus now is on his way. He set his face towards Jerusalem, where he will be arrested, tried, and ultimately crucified. But here in Luke 10, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem, he stops at the house of a woman named Martha. And Martha and her sister, the scriptures tell us, are devoted followers of Jesus. They've devoted their lives to following him. And according to social custom at the time, Mary and Martha would have been expected to prepare a meal and to accommodate their guests in Martha's home. But this isn't exactly what we see happen in our passage this morning. So let's dive into our first few verses, verses 38 through 39. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So the first thing we see today in our passage is Mary's devotion. And here in Nebraska, we know all about devotion. Like We follow a football team with our full allegiance. Uh, when I moved to Nebraska, I quickly realized that being a Husker fan wasn't optional. It was essential if I was going to fit in. And I remember at my wedding, I had uh, lots of friends that came from out of state. And it was amazing how many of them commented how impressed they were at how many big red letter ends are just flying all over the city. They were impressed by our devotion to the Huskers. It's a cultural norm here to be a Husker fan. 
But the devotion that Mary displays in our passage today, it's totally countercultural. Mary, as sister to Martha and as a woman, would have been expected to be in the kitchen preparing food for the guests. To find Mary seeming to shirk her responsibilities in this way would have seemed strange, but what Mary ultimately does goes beyond strange. It would have been downright shocking. And Luke records that Mary simply, she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Pretty descriptive sentence. He doesn't go, he doesn't elaborate on what that means. In our cultural context, it seems really straightforward. Mary sits down by Jesus and listens to him teach. So what's the big deal? In Mary's cultural context, putting yourself in this position before a teacher was a way of declaring yourself to be a disciple of that teacher. And it's a position in this time that was culturally almost exclusively reserved for men. We can assume Peter, James, John, Matthew, the 12 disciples, they would have been sitting at Jesus' feet in this moment, listening to him teach. These were men that had decided to follow Jesus they believed that Jesus was going to change the world, and they with him. And here we find Mary. She plops herself down in their midst, and she claims all the privileges and expectations attached to being a disciple of Jesus. I would have loved to see the looks on people's faces in the room. But Mary teaches us something profound here. Mary teaches us that there are no second-class disciples of Jesus. In Mary's cultural context, people probably would have written her off because she was a woman. Sure, she, she can follow Jesus, but to actually sit at his feet, to, to claim herself to be a disciple on the same level as a, as a Peter or a James or a John, that's going too far. But Mary realized something that many others had probably missed. She realized that the call to discipleship is the same for everyone, and all are welcome. Everyone, regardless of gender, age, ethnicity, social standing, everyone is welcome to become a disciple. And the cost to become a disciple is the same for all. It requires total allegiance to Jesus, laying down your life and picking up your cross to follow him. You see, Mary was fully devoted to Jesus, and nothing would keep her from being his disciple. What an amazing woman of faith. Friends, let's learn from Mary. Let's not settle for thinking that we belong in a category of being a second-class disciple. Let's refuse to believe that anything can keep us from being fully devoted followers of Jesus. And maybe you've been tempted to think to yourself, hey, I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a church staff member. So certainly the call on my life to follow Jesus isn't as big as somebody like that, right? Or maybe... You thought to yourself, I'm just a mom struggling to keep up with my kids. Like, I can't, how can I be expected to fully devote myself to Jesus in this season of life when everything's so crazy? Or 
I just started following Jesus a few months ago. Like, am I supposed to follow Jesus or have an impact for Jesus like people who followed him for 20 plus years? Or maybe you're a kid in the room and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even have a license. I don't even have a cell phone. How am I supposed to follow Jesus on the same level as the other people, the older people in this room? And friends, whatever the excuse is you're tempted to believe, don't believe a lie that you're meant to be a second-class disciple of Jesus. Devote yourself to Jesus in whatever season of life you're in, whatever place you find yourself. However crazy, however busy, however bad you feel of a disciple you might be, be single-minded in your devotion to say, whatever I do, wherever I'm at, I will do it all and devote it all to Jesus. There might be a thousand things that distract you, that seek to convince you that you're meant to be a second-class disciple of Jesus. But remember, in the midst of the urgent, one thing is important. So choose, like Mary, to step into what's important and to fully devote yourself to following Jesus. And so we see Mary's posture of single-minded devotion to Jesus, her desire to be a disciple of him. And next, we're going to see the posture of Mary's sister, Martha. So we're going to continue in our passage with verses 40 through 42. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So the second thing we see in our passage is Martha's distraction. Have you ever had to pick up the slack for somebody who wasn't doing their job? It's like the most frustrating thing in the world. And if you combine that fact with the person who isn't doing their job is your sibling, it makes it like 10,000 times worse. This is exactly what Martha feels toward her sister, Mary. So Martha looks at Jesus and says, essentially, Jesus, aren't you going to do something? Don't you care that I'm slaving away by myself? Don't you see Mary? She's shirking her responsibility. Tell her to do her job. And to everyone else in the room, Martha's complaint probably seems completely warranted. It was social custom that Mary would be helping Martha to prepare dinner, serve the guests. And let's be honest, if Jesus was in my house, I'd be anxious to give him good service too. But in reply to Martha's complaint, when she tells Jesus, tell Mary to do her job, Jesus responds in a way that would have stunned the people in the room. He says, essentially, she is doing her job. She's chosen to sit at my feet. Mary knew that in the midst of the urgent, one thing is important. Mary assumes the posture of a disciple, humbling herself at Jesus' feet 
listening to and learning from, worshiping Jesus. And this posture is in stark contrast in this moment to the posture of Martha. Luke records that Martha was distracted with much serving. And isn't it interesting that Martha's problem surfaces, it comes out in the way that she's serving? Like we typically think of serving as such a good thing, but serving can be a distraction from what's most important. And at this moment, Martha is focused so much on doing things for Jesus that she's forgetting to be with Jesus. And isn't it so easy to do this? Like, I am so guilty of this. It's so easy to value my activity over my identity. We forget that Jesus primarily wants worshipers of him over workers for him. The difference between Martha and Mary in this passage is that Mary primarily approaches Jesus as a worshiper, while Martha primarily approaches Jesus as a worker. And so you might ask, what's the difference between a worshiper and a worker? What's that look like? I think workers do things to be seen and loved by God. So workers do things to be seen and loved by God, but worshipers do things because they know they already are seen and loved by God. Workers would rather do something for Jesus than learn something from him. Worshipers have been transformed by Jesus and are learning to be conformed to look more like him. You see, worshipers are learners, but workers are earners. And while workers are consumed by the urgent, worshipers recognize that in the midst of the urgent, one thing is important. But notice in our passage, Jesus doesn't put down Martha for the fact that she was serving. As if serving itself is a sin. He doesn't say, Martha, put down the pots, put down the pans, put down the dish rag, lay down the chili and the cinnamon rolls, stop serving. No, Jesus gets to the posture of Martha's heart. Jesus points out the difference between a worker and a worshiper. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is important. When Jesus repeats Martha's name, Martha, Martha, it's a term of endearment. See, Jesus isn't frustrated. He's not angry. He's addressing Martha out of love, out of compassion. And he shoots straight for her heart. He shoots to the source of her struggles rather than the symptom. And Jesus invites her to take her anxious preoccupation with what's urgent and to replace it with what's most important. And friends, in your anxiety and troubles, this is Jesus' posture towards people like you and me. Not upset, not angry, not folding his arms and wondering, when, he, when are you going to get your act together? No, Jesus' kindness shows through even when we're more consumed with being workers for him than being worshipers of him. 
And this is the heart of Jesus' message and the message of the gospel. We've all failed to be worshipers. Instead, we've chosen to make our own way apart from God, to worship other things, to worship ourselves or things around us, created things. We worship these things by devoting our time, our energy, our thought to them, and we make these things the center. We put them at the center of our kind of internal solar system. Everything else in our lives starts to revolve around these things. And when these things aren't present or don't live up to our expectations, everything else in life that's been revolving around them starts to fall apart, to crumble, to get thrown out of whack. And we can do this. We can put at the center of our internal solar system, our career, the pursuit of a significant other, sex, our families, our spouse, our children, our image, our hobbies, our leisure, so many things we are tempted to put to worship at the center of our lives other than Jesus. And the problem is that none of these things are meant to bear the weight of being at the center. Only God can. See, the truth is we've fallen woefully short as worshipers of God. Romans 3, 23 through 24 puts it this way. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or they're made right with God by his grace as a gift. See, all of your goodness could never make up for your misplaced worship. All of your goodness could never pay the price that you owe to God for your wrongdoing. You could never do enough good to earn a place in heaven. And that's why it has to be a free gift given to you rather than earned by you. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived but failed to do. A life lived in perfect obedience to the Father. A life lived in perfect worship to the Father. And on the cross, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for sin, paying the penalty that we deserve for our misplaced worship. He took the wrath that we deserve for our wrongdoing. And now by simply trusting in him and his work on our behalf, we can be made right. We can be justified with God. It's a free gift that we receive by faith. And faith really simply is just the hands that open up to receive the free gift that Jesus offers to us. And friends, now that our misplaced worship has been paid for by Jesus on the cross, we have an opportunity to respond, to receive him as our Savior by faith. And if you've never received Jesus, I want to invite you this morning, would today be the day, would this be the moment that you open your hands in faith to receive the free gift that Jesus offers to you. I want to close today with the final words of Jesus from our passage in verse 42. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. 
friends, in the midst of everything happening in your life, in all the troubles, all the busyness, all the chaos, and all the distractions, can I remind you, there's one thing that you can pursue that will never be taken away from you. When we choose Jesus, we choose a treasure that can never be taken away from us. Friends, Jesus is the unbelievably valuable treasure available to us in each moment. Instead, we tend to be consumed with the urgent and we miss out on what's most important. When we choose Jesus, we choose the good portion. See, the problem with our anxieties and troubles and our distractions is that they never end. When one's dealt with, another one rises up to take its place. Anxieties and troubles and distractions, they'll change, they'll morph, they'll shapeshift throughout the years of our lives. But Jesus is always present and he's never changing. He's never leaving. In every circumstance, in each moment, with every breath that you take, Jesus is making himself available. He's not a far-off, distant God too busy to care about your troubles. He's a God who's present, intimate, near enough in each moment for you to hear his heartbeat. And just like Mary and Martha, he opens his arms and he invites us, he welcomes us in each moment to sit at his feet, to become disciples who learn from him, who worship him. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't promise Martha that her anxieties and troubles would go away? Like I kind of almost picture him like snapping his fingers and it's like a Harry Potter scene starts where like the pots and the pans and the dishes and the food just start flying around everywhere, you know, and he's like, taking care of Martha, come sit at my feet. And for us this morning, I don't want to give a false promise that the anxieties or the troubles that we face, that Jesus is going to snap his fingers and perform a miracle and your anxieties are just going to be gone. But I think that those anxieties and troubles, they start to take their proper place. They're put in the proper perspective when we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's temporary becomes smaller, becomes less able to grip us, to control us in light of what's eternal. When we take time to quiet our souls, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn from him, to worship him, we participate in what's eternal. In a kingdom that will never fade, that will never grow stale, we begin to participate in the eternal kind of life that's going to be waiting for us long after this temporary life has passed. When we come to Jesus and live for him and worship him in the midst of the ordinary, we find the purpose and the fulfillment that we were created for. And there's a, uh, an old missionary named C.T. Studd. He once famously said these words. He said, one life it soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, when we leave today like Mary, choosing to sit at Jesus' feet, would we refuse to settle for anything else than single-minded devotion to Jesus? 
Would we see ourselves primarily as worshipers of Jesus rather than workers for him? And would we leave knowing that in the midst of our anxieties and troubles, there's a treasure present for the taking? Jesus himself with us, available to us in each moment. Would we leave remembering and believing that in the midst of the urgent, one thing is important? Let's pray.